Matthew 26, 1 through 5. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, He said to His disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. They plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill Him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, You work out all things according to the counsel of Your will, which certainly included the cross of Christ. While the religious leaders, Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, conspired against Your holy servant Jesus, they only carried out what Your hand and Your plan had predestined to take place. And now we ask You to give us minds to understand the message of the cross. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to us may the message of Christ crucified be the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Amen. You may be seated. It's been said that timing is everything. Uh, to be sure, timing is important, uh, but it's probably a little bit of an exaggeration to say that timing is everything. Uh, nevertheless, according to Ecclesiastes 3, we're told, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. In a universe governed by a sovereign Lord, every person lives when, where, and how God decides in His infinite wisdom. We know this from many passages, including Acts 17.26, where Paul says, God made from one man, that would be Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So note very carefully, God determined in His sovereignty when and where everybody was going to live. Which means very practically, you are alive at this date in history and you live in this section of the world by the predetermined counsel of God. You are not here by accident. In Psalm 139.16, David said to God, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before you were ever born, before you were ever conceived, God had a book and He wrote your name in that book and He wrote down the date of your birth. He wrote down the date of your death. But even more than that, that's obvious from the text, but even more than that, many commentators believe what David is really saying is that every single day of our life was ordained by God. Not just that He has a certain plan for our time, but that He has ordained our whole life. There is a time to be born and a time to die. This is true for each one of us. 
And it was true for God's only Son. In Galatians 4, 4-5, through 5, Paul said, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Once again, notice the precise timing. When the fullness of time had come, God said, now is the time. I'm going to send my son down there so that he can be born under the law, under the curse of the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that they can be forgiven, so that they can be adopted into my family. Everything is taking place according to God's timetable. If you've been here for the last few weeks, you know that Jesus announced the gospel of the kingdom. And in Mark 1, 14 and 15, we read, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. What does that mean? God's time for the arrival of the kingdom has come. So He proclaims the arrival of the kingdom. He says the time has come and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. So just the right time Jesus was born. When the time came, He announced the arrival of the kingdom. And as Jesus went through His life, He knew that there was this perfect time of God that He was living according to. Another example is seen in John 2. This takes place at the first miracle, the turning of water into wine. John 2, on the third day there was a wedding at Canaan in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with His disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to Him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with Me? My hour has not yet come. Now, there's a lot there, but just notice. The hour has not yet come. And we'll come back to what that hour means in a little while. But notice, Jesus is operating according to a very precise timetable. Now, as you read through the Gospels, it's amazing how many times the Jews tried to arrest or kill Jesus, but they weren't able to. Over and over again, they wanted to arrest Him, but they couldn't. Or they wanted to kill Him, and they couldn't. Last Sunday, I mentioned that while the conspiracy of the religious leaders to put Jesus to death took place in private, uh, took place behind closed doors, nevertheless, it was common knowledge. Everybody in Israel knew that the religious leaders hated Jesus and that they wanted to put Him to death. John 7 makes this clear. You can turn there if you have your Bibles. John 7, 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? So here's what the people are saying. Here this man is speaking openly. They want to kill him. But look, they're just letting him go on. 
Do they believe that He's the Anointed One? The promised King who was to come. Drop down to verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest Him. They were seeking to arrest Him because they didn't like what the people were saying. But, no one laid a hand on Him because His hour had not yet come. Let me ask you a few questions here. I want to make sure you have this. Why couldn't they arrest Jesus according to verse 30? Because His hour had not yet come. Does anybody know what the hour refers to? The hour of His death. Exactly. And when would the hour of His death come? During the Passover. The precise time that God had ordained for His hour to come. Turn ahead to John 8. Verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to Him, You are bearing witness about Yourself. Your testimony is not true. Drop down to verse 18. I am the one who bears witness about Myself, and the Father who sent Me bears witness about Me. They said to Him, therefore, Where is Your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither Me nor My Father. If You knew Me, You would know My Father also. These words He spoke in the treasury as He taught in the temple. But no one arrested Him because His hour had not yet come. So again, the implication is they are ticked off at Jesus. They don't like what He's saying. They want to arrest Him, but they can't arrest Him because His hour had not yet come. Now, this answer right here explains the many places where Jesus has a near-death experience. And the people try to kill Him, but they're not able to kill Him. And have you noticed? Jesus had many of those near-death experiences. The people were upset. They wanted to kill Him. And then He just mysteriously vanishes. He just mystically walks away. And if you're reading the passage, sometimes you're left wondering, well, what, what, what happened here? Consider a couple of those passages. John 8. We'll start with that one since we're already there. John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I love that. Not before Abraham was, I was. He's not just stating that before Abraham ever existed, I existed. He's stating before Abraham was ever born, I am. In other words, he is applying to himself the personal name of God. Yahweh, I am that I am. And Jesus is saying, before Abraham was ever born, and you have to remember, Abraham was born some 2,000 years before Jesus came. Jesus is saying, before he was ever born, I am. And they understand very clearly what he is saying. They understand that Jesus is claiming to be God in the flesh. And how did they respond to such a statement? So they picked up stones to throw at him. Now stop right there. You've you, you got to take it real slow here. They heard what he said. 
This is blasphemy. You need to be put to death according to the law because you're making yourself equal with God. They bend over. They pick up stones. They're about to stone him to death right on the spot. And what are we told? But Jesus hid Himself and went out of the temple. I don't know about you, but don't you, don't you want a few more details in there? They're in the process of stoning him. They're picking up the rocks, and then all of a sudden, where, where'd he go? Jesus is gone. Luke 4. This one has even more detail. Luke 4, starting at verse 25. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three days and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Cyrene. See what Jesus was saying? During the time of Elijah and Elisha, people in Israel could have been healed. How many of them were? Zero because of their lack of faith. So these prophets of God were sent to foreigners and foreigners were healed through the prophets. When they heard these things, they couldn't refute it. It was right out of the Old Testament. It was true. All in the synagogue were filled with wrath. So they're listening to Jesus. And we didn't go through the whole passage, but they're listening to Jesus and they're getting more and more and more upset. And right about this point, they are ready to explode. They're filled with wrath and they rose up and drove him out of the town. Okay, I didn't give you the background. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's in the synagogue. He's teaching in the synagogue. So they forcibly drive him out of the synagogue. They go through town and they take Jesus out of town. And then the passage goes on and it says, and brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built. So take him through town, out of town, to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff so they take him all this way, forcibly out of the synagogue, through town, to this cliff where they're ready to throw him over the cliff. And then what happens next? But passing through their midst, he went away. Again, aren't you just like, wow, you got this violent mob. They care, they're about to throw him over. And then all, all of a sudden, it's just like there's this instant calm and and Jesus just walks away. And you, need to, you need to understand that this was common for Jesus. <laughs> we, we've seen this again and again. They wanted to arrest Him. They wanted to kill Him. And they were on the verge of doing so. And, and He just walks away. Now, Luke doesn't tell us why that happened, but we know because His hour had not yet come so there wasn't anything that he could do. Now, with that in mind, turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Verse 
When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. This is a prophecy. And what is Jesus prophesying? His crucifixion. And when is it going to happen? It's going to happen in two days, right? And what also is coming in two days? Passover is coming in two days. Okay? And Jesus said this continually to His disciples. In Luke, there's at least three occurrences where He tells His disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be crucified. And on the third day, He's going to rise from the dead. And the disciples went, what? But, but Jesus knew exactly what was happening. Going up to Jerusalem, and He knew. This is what's waiting for me in Jerusalem. And He knew exactly when it was going to happen. It was going to happen during Passover. Verse 3. We have another scene. Then the chief priest and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill Him. That is nothing new, right? You, you almost get the impression from the Gospels that every other week they got together and, and they came up with a new plan about arresting Jesus and plotting to kill Him. This happens all the time. Again, a common occurrence. But notice what they say. Verse 5, But they said, Not during the feast. Not during the Passover feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Okay, All these times they wanted to arrest Jesus or kill Jesus and they couldn't. The one time when they say, we don't want to arrest Jesus, we don't want to kill Jesus during the Passover feast because there will be an uproar among the people. The one time when they don't want to arrest Jesus, that's when they arrest Him and kill Him. Because it's taking place according to the sovereign plan of God. It had to happen during Passover. Why did it have to happen during Passover? Well, because the Father ordained that it would happen during Passover. But let's take it a step further. Why did He choose the Passover? Because Jesus is the Lamb. The Passover Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was going to be the ultimate Passover which would bring an end to the other Passovers. Jesus would be the final sacrifice, atoning for the sin of the people in a way that the blood of other lambs could never do. Turn to Exodus 12, just so you have the Passover clearly in mind. Exodus 12. And by the way, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to celebrate the Passover. Like we do every Lord's Day, we just don't call it Passover, we call it the Lord's Supper. But the Lord's Supper took place during the Passover. Now, the context is Exodus 12. This is the tenth and final plague that God brings upon Pharaoh in the Egyptians so that His people could be set free. Which is a picture of our redemption. A picture of our deliverance. 
And in Exodus 12, beginning at verse 21, uh, some instructions are given to the Israelites. We read, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. Anybody know what that is? Take a bunch of hyssop. It's a kind of plant. It's like a little branch. So basically, they would use this like a paintbrush. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood. So can you kids picture this? So take a little little branch, dip it in the blood of the Passover lamb that is in the basin and touch the lintel, the top of the door and the doorpost on the side with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door. There's where Passover comes in case you're wondering. Okay, when the Lord sees the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost, He will pass over. And that is very important. Because He will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. What happens if you don't apply the blood of the Lamb to your doorpost? The firstborn son dies. From the house of Pharaoh all the way down to the least servants, the firstborn of all the Egyptians died because the destroyer killed them because they didn't have the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as He had promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For He passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when He struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So they would observe this Passover every year. Or at least I should say they were supposed to observe this Passover every year. They were not always faithful in doing that. But they would be reminded year after year we were saved by the blood of the Lamb. But these sacrifices would have to take place every single year. And why did these sacrifices have to be repeated? The author of Hebrews tells us because they never really could atone for sin. They were only a picture. Hebrews says they were only a type and shadow of the ultimate sacrifice to come, Jesus. So when Jesus dies on the cross during Passover as the Passover lamb, no other sacrifice was needed. The author of Hebrews says that He was sacrificed once for all. Once for all. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ was sufficient for those who would come 2,000 years later. The sacrifice of Christ was sufficient to go back 4,000 plus years to the first believer and cover their sins. In other words, it's retroactive. It can go backwards. It can go forward. One sacrifice took care of the sins of all people. The final Passover lamb had come. And it took place in God's perfect timing. 
so that we could understand what he was trying to communicate in the Old Testament with these sacrifices and so that we could see that the final Passover has come. And it all took place according to God's perfect timing. Let me say again that everything takes place according to God's perfect timing. Uh, You are here because God has ordained that you be here at this time in this place. And I don't know what you are going through, but remember, it's not an accident. God has ordained what you are going through. He has a plan for your life as well. And we have to believe that all things will work for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And one of the things we have to understand is that we serve a God who raises the dead. Now, I'm jumping ahead to Easter, of course. (laughs) But our God is not just a God of death. Our God is a God of death with a purpose. And the purpose is so that He can raise the dead. Vindicate those who are dying. God loves to bring His believers to difficult situations so they have to cry out for Him for help and then He can deliver them. That's how God works. That's how God worked with Jesus. Killed Him knowing that He would raise Him on the third day. And this message of Christ crucified is foolishness to the world. It's not just that it was foolishness 2,000 years. It's still foolishness that we are putting our hopes in a man who died on a cross 2,000 years ago. But we know that that was the God-man. And we know that He didn't stay in the grave. That God raised Him from the dead. And that He died for our sins and He was raised for our justification. This is how God works. And nothing can alter that. Nothing can alter that. You can't, believe it or not, you can go through life like Jesus. You can go through life saying, you know what, if it's not God's time, you can't touch me. If it's not God's time, I will continue to do what He's called me to do. You really are, from one perspective, invincible and immortal until your time has come. You really are. And when your time has come, then you just need to realize that that's God's perfect timing and He has a plan for that. God was in control of the life of Jesus and He is no less in control of each one of our lives. And He had a plan for the death and resurrection of Jesus and He has a plan for the different deaths that we go through. And that purpose is so that He can bring about a resurrection. So that He can vindicate us. So that He can rescue us. So that we can look back and say, what a great God we serve. This is how God works. The cross is at the center of Christianity because without it, there is no forgiveness of sins. And it's also a great reminder of how God works in the lives of His people. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, we thank You for the cross. And like the Apostle Paul, we want to boast only in the cross. And it really is foolishness to Jews and to Gentiles alike. But Father, 
to us who are being saved, it really is the power of God. Father, Your foolishness is wiser than the wisdom of man, and Your weakness is stronger than man's strength. Father, we thank You that Jesus, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Father, may we look to Him in faith. May none of us rely on our good deeds because we know that through works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. So may we look to Him for our salvation. In His name we pray. Amen.